Welcome to the Footprint Plus 2023 podcast series. Neighbours UK, a tool for investors to drive improvement in energy performance of buildings in association with Green Gage. Uh, good morning and welcome everyone to the, ses- the session on Neighbours, a tool for investors to drive energy performance in buildings. I'm Amrita Dasgupta Shekhar and uh, I head up the energy and carbon services at a sustainability consultancy called Green Gage. And uh, uh, we focus on addressing climate change through the three pillars, which is uh, people and places, biodiversity, and social impact. And I'm joined today by my esteemed co-panelists, Sarah Radcliffe, who is the CEO of the Better Buildings Partnership, Malcolm Hanna, who's the Senior Sustainability Manager at Legal and General Investment Management, and Peter Williams, who is the Senior Technical Advisor at Stanhope. And you can read more about them in their bios on the website, but just as some introduction in relation to specifically neighbors. Uh, I, as, as many of you know, that Better Buildings Partnership and specifically Sarah, has been, uh, they've been instrumental in bringing neighbors to the UK. And uh, BBP alongside the neighbors team in Australia, the DFP pioneers, uh, Delta Q and Worko developed the neighbors methodology for the UK. Uh, and Stanhope and Elgem are both DFP pioneering organizations that invested in the development of the neighbors scheme as we see it today and have been implementing neighbors within their own portfolio over time. Peter and Malcolm specifically co chair the BBP's Neighbors UK Working Group that plays a very important role in driving neighbors and looking at some of the practical issues that are faced when delivering these schemes on site. Uh, Peter also sits on the British Council's uh, British Council for Offices Technical Affairs Committee that earlier this year announced their new recommendations that included a requirement for all new office buildings to be five-star neighbors rated. And BCO is not the only organization to do so. In fact, uh, the UKGBC's net zero carbon uh, targets for offices, uh, BRIAM, Letty, GRESB, UK net zero carbon building standards, uh, all acknowledge neighbors in terms of its role in improving operational performance of offices in the UK. And since its launch, the traction for neighbors has been building and it is increasingly being recognized as a key piece to the net zero transition. And in this session, we will explore how Neighbours is being used as a tool to drive energy performance and also look at some of the practical shifts in approach that will be necessary to try and drive performance but also roll out Neighbours at scale within portfolios. But before we start, I would like to invite Sarah to present on what sets Neighbours apart and why Neighbours is becoming so instrumental within the industry in driving energy performance. Sarah? Great. Thanks to um, Amrita uh, for the intro. Um, Nice to see everybody here today. Um, As Amrita said, I'm CEO of the Better Buildings Partnership. Uh, For those of you who are not familiar with the Better Buildings Partnership, just to set things in context, the BBP is um, a not-for-profit 
membership organization uh, for property owners who are committed to improving uh, the sustainability of their portfolios. We have over 50 members and between those 50 members uh, they have <coughs> over 280 billion worth of assets under management in the UK. I'm here today to talk about neighbours and one of the things we do as BBP is try to show leadership for the sector and Neighbours is one of the initiatives that the BBP has championed um, that does exactly that. So I'm going to give you a brief introduction firstly to uh, what the challenge is. So uh, the slide that you see here is um, a slide taken from the Committee on Climate Changes report in 2022 and uh, the one that we're paying attention to today is the non-domestic line at the bottom, the pink one, which effectively shows that really over the past decade or so that emissions from commercial buildings essentially flatlined. There's no significant improvement there. Why is this? Well, because essentially in terms of our approach to energy efficiency in buildings, we have a design for compliance approach that's essentially driven by planning, building regs, um, energy performance certificates, um, and we do have decks, but they're only um, available for, um, um, to uh, mandatory for public buildings. So what we have is a design for compliance approach. Uh, what's the challenge with this is that, well, we know that taking that compliance approach means that while buildings are designed to perform either at or above a regulatory compliance level, by the time you've gone through the development process and the building is in operation, Quite often in reality what happens is those buildings do not perform as they were designed to perform and there is a big uh, performance gap there. And one of, the, uh, one of the challenges around this is that actually uh, the tools that we have, the metrics that we have in the real estate industry do not measure performance outcomes. This is our, one of our most popular BBP graphs that we have, which shows um, essentially data that we gather from our members um, across over a thousand um, uh, assets in the UK. It shows the actual energy intensity of those assets um, alongside the EPC ratings of those assets. What you can see is there's relatively little relationship there. And so while EPCs are a good way of driving improvement in building fabric and services, they don't tell us how the building performs in use. Uh, so essentially we're missing three key things. We're missing performance metrics as an industry that can be used consistently. We're using a visibility and transparency of energy performance. And we need to understand who is accountable for that performance within commercial buildings. So it, against that backdrop, I'm just going to briefly talk about the development of the Neighbours UK and what makes it different. So first of all, just to say, for those of you to whom Neighbours is new perhaps in the UK, it is not, not a new concept. It's been used in Australia since the late 1990s. And what's interesting is they've got over two years of, uh, two, sorry, two decades of performance data, which shows how measuring and disclosing in-use performance can drive real improvements in energy efficiency. It's evolved there from a voluntary rating scheme to a mandatory rating, uh, with over 90% of Australian offices are now rated using Neighbours. 
and it's driven sector-wide transformation. So this isn't just about owners transforming, it's also about driving transformation in building engineering, architecture, services, facilities management, etc. It's used in sustainable finance and it's a proxy now in Australia for well-managed buildings. So we've been watching what's, happening, uh, what's happened in Australia for, with neighbours for some time. And the key things that we think uh, delineates it from other uh, kind of rating schemes, it's that it's a measure of actual uh, performance in use, not intent. It assesses building operation, not design. Uh, it's a meaningful rating that the market can understand. It's simple and easy to uh, communicate, which I'll come to later. It's reliable because it has um, assurance and verification processes. There's strong governance around it, and it encourages collaboration. So effectively, it's a technically robust scheme, actionable and meaningful and easy to communicate. In the UK, uh, the scheme uh, Neighbours UK has been championed by the BBP, supported by Design for Performance uh, uh, pioneers, and that process went through a period of piloting, a feasibility study, and finally we were able to bring Neighbours UK to the market. Uh, there are two key parts of Neighbours UK. One part of Neighbours UK, which is designed for performance, which is for new buildings, and the other one is Neighbours Energy Offices, which is existing buildings. So you can use it for both. Um, one of the really different things about Neighbours is that the responsibility for energy uses align with the party in control. So effectively, you can have a neighbor's whole building rating, a neighbor's base building rating, and tenancy ratings as well. So you can split the building up according to who is in control of uh, the energy consumption, which is really important if you're trying to um, delineate uh, different uh, um, sources of consumption and, and, and uses of energy within the building. But it's also important if you want to drive change, knowing which stakeholders to target it at. Um, there's a lot of stuff that goes un and under the bonnet of Neighbours UK and any questions, happy to kind of respond to those. But what's really good about it as well is that it communicates through a very simple one to six star scale. So that any stakeholders wishing to use the scheme can actually do so using quite a simple way to procure buildings or to set standards uh, for, the own, for their own buildings that they develop and manage. Um, as Amrita already mentioned, we've already seen that Neighbours UK has begun to be embedded in a wide range of industry uh, standards and guidance. Fantastic to see that happen. Um, it is a nascent scheme, so it's relatively new to the UK, but momentum is building. And uh, you can see here how that differs between new build design for performance and the energy for offices, which is where um, uh, take-up is really beginning to build um, now. And also a really important aspect of this is when um, uh, the approach to developing performance in use rating has also been utilised in informing um, government thinking uh, around how one might look at performance in use ratings for commercial buildings too. Uh, we've already seen the market competing for industry first, and I note there's another session later on this afternoon about one at a neighbour's UK five-and-a-half-star building, uh, which is great, so the industry is adopting it. 
And um, I just want to conclude before we go into discussion um, that the graph that you saw earlier around EPCs, we have rerun that methodology using the data that we have from buildings within uh, the BBP uh, set of um, data. And what you can see here is that using the same uh, energy intensity metric and the way we measure our buildings through the BBP's real estate environmental benchmark aligns much more neatly to how the neighbors' ratings are configured. One of the things I want to highlight about this particular graph is what you will notice is that uh, there are relatively few buildings that are performing at that very high level of neighbors rating and quite a few that are performing below the average which is three or actually um, uh, lower than that in terms of the neighbors rating. This is a really important challenge for us to grasp as an industry the existing buildings that we have are the biggest challenge that we face in terms of meeting our targets in relation to net zero and energy efficiency and emissions reductions in the UK. And unless we as an industry are open and honest about how our existing buildings are performing, we can't put the right mechanisms in place to improve that performance. So I'll stop there and look forward to the discussion. Thank you, Sarah. So, uh, Sarah, I would like to come to you first with my first question. Are you seeing an increasing interest in neighbors within specifically the lending and the invest investment com community? Are you seeing that uh, there is more of a take-up? And what is, what is really driving that interest? So, as I highlighted, Amrita, I mean, the scheme is quite nascent in the UK at the moment. But what's really interesting is that it's already being adopted by developers, by owners of assets to help understand, improve and drive the improved performance of their building. But from an investment and lending perspective, what's really, there are some really important things about neighbors and one of the things, one of the reasons there of, it's of interest to investors and lenders is that essentially what neighbors does is it provides real in-use performance data. So this isn't predicted data, it's not estimated data, it is data from real buildings and it helps to accurately predict in the case of new buildings and then also verify in a robust manner for existing buildings um, performance and use. That's really important for investors and lenders because what they need are standards and schemes that they can point to that help them set the criteria for the um, assets that they will invest in, the criteria that they will use to lend against, if you like. And so um, one of the things that's, that's clear about Neighbours is that it provides what we call an investment grade rating for commercial offices, which means that you can use it to accurately assess performance, but also be clear that there are appropriate verification and insurance processes in place. That's really important if you're making decisions about where to place capital or who to lend that capital to. Well, that's really helpful. I wanted to come to you next, Malcolm, just to try and understand a little more from the investor's perspective what is it that within neighbors what is the gap that neighbors fills for you and how how is it driving how is it? 
Yes, um, good morning everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Um, so I'd say, I mean, the way that we're using it as a, as a property owner, as an investor, so we've, we've got a requirement now for all of our new developments to, uh, to go through the neighbours process and also all of our major refurbishments. I think in terms of what it actually delivers uh, for us is there's, 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 there's quite a few elements. We, we've got a big commitment to net zero carbon. Um, and what Neighbours really gives us right off the bat is it gives us um, a focus on an operational target. So it gives us um, a, probably the most accurate insight into that at the design stage. You know, what is the operational performance of this asset going to be? Um, so so that's, that's, that's one key area. I think the other thing is it actually focuses the design team. So because we have that uh, you know, quantification, we can then work as, as a team to say, okay, how do we find some new solutions? You know, we've got to, we've got to squeeze this more. We, you know, for example, if we're aiming for, say, five and a half stars, what have we got to do to get that over the line? And it gives, it gives that whole design team a real focus, which uh, we think is key. Um, I think the other thing is, I mean, Sarah mentioned this earlier around the performance gap. So um, performance gap is a massive challenge. Because in the sense, the neighbors process gives us this kind of golden thread through the whole design process, right from the early stage, through the, um, you know, the design reviews, it enables us to ensure that the, the design ethos is being maintained and ultimately right through to in-use performance. So that's the, the acid test. How are these assets actually performing in the real world? Um, so for us, that is going to be a key, a key part of um, helping to narrow the performance gap. And, and I certainly, I was involved in some research a few years ago. Um, the, the projects that performed best in terms of performance gap were those that had a, a process and a focus which had that you know full design stage um, continuum if you like so we think that's another key part um, I think the other thing is it's a recognized certification um, so server is absolutely right you know EPCs Bream unfortunately they don't really bear any particular relationship to real world performance however we are aware of the fact that um, certifications have an impact upon value and on rental values of properties too. Um, so again, we see neighbours as a, as a, as a recognisable certificate as it grows and it becomes more important. So we think there's another key opportunity, key, key, key element for us as, as an investor um, and also as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, uh, as a manager of other people's investments too. Um, and I think the other thing is the ongoing operational performance. So we don't really have anything which really focuses on that ongoing performance, which we, we think is key. It helps our property managers to understand what good looks like. Um, so again, because it has an annual verification, we, we see that as really key, again, for net zero. So the fact that everyone will have to focus every year on, you know, we've got a star rating. We've got to maintain it or improve it. We don't want to lose a star or lose. Every year we're going to be looking at that. So that really gets that operational piece moving and keeps it moving as we move forward. So we think that's really important. Um, and I think the other thing for us is an engagement with our occupiers. Uh, Sarah mentioned there's some different tunes you can play on neighbours. You can have a sort of base build, you have a whole build, you have a tenant piece. Uh, we're really looking for more and more opportunities to engage with our tenants and our occupiers. Um, we think neighbours is a key tool where we can kind of get together and collaborate. Uh, so, you know, that, I'd, I'd say that probably summarises the, the main areas that we think it's, it's useful and important for us. Well, that's really helpful. 
and are you beginning to see neighbors really having that impact on uh, rental values as yet or are you also finding that you're uh, using neighbors it helps you to fund or finance projects uh, I think to be frank I mean because it is still relatively early days for neighbors I think we may be pushing it to say we're seeing an impact on values in, in that sense what, what I would say is um, we are aware certainly in the office sector that there is research that shows that certifications are having an impact on valuation. Um, and we would say that um, we think that, you know, delivering good quality, good quality office space, uh, which has got underpinned by verifiable certifications, we think we, we are in a position, for example, to, to expect to get better, better rental returns on that. And ultimately, we think that will feed through to valuations. I think we're probably at the early stages of that at the moment, but we certainly see that as kind of headed down one street really I think yeah. yeah and I was wondering Sarah if you could touch upon some of the experience from Australia in terms of how neighbors has had that impact on rental values yeah well I'm um, I think that it, it, I was going to come in there but it's just waiting for that so I think one of the challenges here is that when we when when values value commercial assets what they need is a data set upon which to do that. They need uh, transactions that inform how they value buildings. So at the moment in the UK, as Malcolm said, it's quite difficult. We don't, you know, there aren't, there aren't sufficient quantity of buildings that have been assessed. Uh, under neighbours for that to, to yet flow through to the valuation community. But in Australia, um, if you look at uh, some of the evidence that they've gathered in Australia and some of the research done, there is clear evidence to demonstrate not only that neighbours rated buildings outperform, but also the higher the rating, the neighbours rating, the larger the margin of outperformance. So they have data sets, as I say, that they've gathered over the past two decades, whereby they can look at the impact on valuation and there is a relationship there, not only in terms of uh, capital values, but also rental returns, uh, but also um, uh, reduced vacancy rates and so mm. on, and also speed to, speed to letting yeah. as well. So we don't have that evidence in the UK, but it is there in Australia. Yeah. No, that's really helpful. I, it, it almost seems like uh, a, a no-brainer in terms of why, why we shouldn't be doing more of this. So I wanted to come to you, Peter, in terms of trying to understand that there is, at the moment, a recognition within the industry that rolling out neighbors will need some sort of a cultural shift in the way we approach building design operations and management. Uh, for the longest period of time, we have pursued design and build contracts that where everything finishes at practical completion. There's been a rush within the industry for the best building rather than looking at the process of that transition and seeing that through. And, and, and it, it requires a cultural shift to think differently in terms and get comfortable with lower ratings as well. So I just wanted to hear from you uh, uh, in terms of what do you think are the key changes in approach and key changes in that cultural shift that will be necessary to start rolling out neighbours at scale. Well, I guess in, in a nutshell, it's about a long-term commitment to improving building performance. And at the moment, the supply chain is, is quite fragmented. It's chopped in the bits that you described. Um, and in the past, you know, arguably that was fine. Energy costs were low and uh, climate change wasn't really in the public eye. But now it's the top of everybody's agenda. 
think if thinking of how you get to an occupier, you know, through design, construction, building management, and the occupier itself, I think that there are changes that need needed in each of those individual components. And overarchingly, and perhaps a topic for a separate discussion, is about how we might bring that together. Certainly from a from a contract perspective. But if I talk about the individual bits, uh, design is. I'm going to. This is going to be great, isn't it? So design is a relatively easy thing, arguably. And I'd say that uh, a competent MEP engineer can go through the design performance process pretty clearly. They can understand the advanced modelling. Um, but what's missing from that is very few of them, frankly, have actual experience of operating a building. And so there's this kind of disconnect still between the promise that's made in design versus the realisation of that in building operation. Um, contracting, again, arguably easy, isn't it? You know, you, but traditionally what happens with contracting is, is that uh, we run out of time. And there's a frenzied activity right at the death uh, to get to the line at which point you breathe a big sigh of relief and chuck the keys over the wall at practical completion. That's the end of that. Um, and what we need now is a, is a completely different approach about the, the importance of testing and commissioning, particularly metering systems, which are fundamental. You, know, you can't control something if you can't measure it. And our experience with the buildings we're putting through, through DFP, and in even those buildings which didn't go through DFP, but we're trying to align um, their completion so they can get a rating. The metering systems, getting those right, making them work, making sure they can cope with the low levels of, of energy that buildings can uh, consume now with good accuracy is, is a real challenge. There's another aspect to the handover then to the, to the building uh, operators, and that's very much around making sure they get the right training and that the handover process, you know, comes back to contracting, is blurred and that there's a, more of a soft landing involved so that there's some hand-holding post-PUC to help the building operators uh, really get the best out of it. You know, because the best will in the world, giving them good O&Ms and, and video records of training is not the same as having people familiar with the building through construction commissioning sit with them to help them drive it properly. I think the biggest challenge, though, is in, in, uh, in the arena of building management and that's for, for all sorts of reasons that are broadly interrelated as well. There is a, I, I've spoken to many of our building managers, so I think I'm treading on anybody's toes, there's a marked lack of, of skill in building management. You know, typical commercial building now is very, very complicated. Uh, and understanding how that works takes no small amount of, of, of knowledge and experience. Uh, one of the, the salutary tales, and it's true in Australia, as we've discovered as well, is that uh, if someone's good working for a building manager, they tend to get poached as well. So uh, finding those people and retaining them is key. There's another aspect which uh, is driven, I think, by a, perhaps a focus on service charge where people are trying to push down the cost of operating a building. And all too often, that building management is understaffed, and that leads to firefighting, dealing with problems. So. You know, not be, if you go and look at a building, it's very easy to see where things are going wrong. Why is that pump switched on continuously? And it was to solve a short-term problem, but because other things came along, it became a long-term fix. So there are things like that which are driven through, through, through lack of resource as well. And again, I think uh, uh, a key aspect to that is the way that building managers are appoint, appointed and it's drive to keep the service charged down. Um, I'm sure there's some better way of doing that for the building managers to offer some kind of incentivization geared to how the building works long term as well. Uh, but there's this pressure, little of that in evidence so far. I guess it rolls on to the occupier then, that the occupier's got a responsibility in all of this about cooperation with the building manager, but also to be able to understand the value of building manager. And this is where it, you know, 
the snake tarts to eat itself um, for, a, for many tenants to believe that um, building management has genuine value. Building management's got up its game, but it's difficult for building management to up its game unless they're paid appropriately. So someone in here, there's a, there's a kind of a resetting of the skill level and the respect that building managers are given. Uh, and in, in parallel, someone's nodding over there, um, and in parallel with that, that, that the occupiers then can understand the benefits they're getting, whether it's in reduced energy charges or the contribution to the net zero carbon pathway. And this is where there's so many opportunities for people and, and why Neighbours is so important, because of its annual rating, is this, this not, not, a, not a one-time hit, this is a repeat game. So all of those parties, if they're prepared to stay involved with it, they learn from the operation of the building, which will inform the design, which will inform the construction and the testing commission, which will give building managers a better start to, to springboard from next time round. So th there are many, many opportunities in, in this, but what's the biggest cultural shift in that? I guess the supply chain is massively fragmented and the way that we, us included, the way that we put contracts and appointments together generally makes people fight their own corner rather than see the bigger picture and find some way to make the whole greater than some of its parts. Well, that's really helpful. I had a couple of uh, follow-on questions from that. So uh, the first one was around the soft landings piece. Are you finding that soft landings within itself is adequate to help you steer through that point from design to operation or have you are you having to go almost soft landing plus I have some in terms of I have some current brutal experience that sadly I'm not allowed to share with you um, <laughs> it, the, two things with soft landings is a formal version of soft landings which is the the busy approach and it, you know it's, it's quite laid out for it there and that's one way of doing it but I'm using the, the term in a, in a slightly more generic way than, than that which is about making sure that the people who operate the building are involved early enough to understand what it's supposed to do, live with it through some of the testing commissioning so they can see how the building is actually working, and then as they, the, the baton is passed to them, they're not abandoned by the design and construction team. And in part, this is, a, this is a, an explicit part of the neighbours process, which has a wonderful thing called the RAP, uh, the Ratings Achievement Plan, where it's actually a client document which sets out how we're going to make sure um, that the rating is delivered and it runs away through design construction and on into to building management as well it's a it's a little recognized part of design for performance but absolutely key part that starts to tie these things together um, and as, as yet we were in the midst of going through some of that now and it, it's you know it, it's a it's a deep learning experience for us but nonetheless it's, it's this most important part of giving somebody a running chance of picking up the building and then into supporting them as the knowledge grows as well and it leads back into this uh, circular learning I mentioned before. Okay. Um, all right. I think uh, I have a few more questions, but I think it's time to probably open uh, open the questions to the audience. I've got um, Slido. So uh, there is a QR code on the lang uh, lectern over here that you can use to feed any questions. Uh, onto the Slido, but equally, if somebody just wants to raise, a, raise their hand, if they have questions, then we do have a mic. So I'm, I'm just going to quickly check a few. So, okay, so we have one which says, how much appetite is there for property owners and investors to upgrade their buildings based on actual performance instead of only focus on focusing on new and refurbishments? Can I, can I just have to mention that? I, I there are the two things going, the design for performance, which is running out of design and is 
a fairly clear-cut process for, um, for new buildings, getting a rating in an existing building is, is quite a solitary experience because it brings you face-to-face -face generally with how bad your buildings perform. Um, it's a, that's, that's a learning opportunity, but it's also a spur to make them work better. Uh, because as soon as you get into you know, transparency and, and public exposure of your ratings, then investors, fund managers, occupiers are all really interested in, in, in increasing, improving the performance of building because they all want to be in something that's working properly. And I bet you've seen a lot of that, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, I think in response to that question, what I would say is that um, part of the uh, um, significant drive around improving existing buildings. That's really changed recently, uh, particularly over the last two to three years where we've seen kind of the wider socio-economic context drive energy prices up. So where energy prices used to be a relatively small proportion of costs, that's now increasing and it's becoming more significant. So there's a drive there. There's a drive around uh, commitments in relation to climate change, not only from the owners of the assets, but also the stakeholders and the investors in those assets who want to see those assets, if you like, um, uh, uh, future-proofed in terms of uh, uh, the climate change risk and decarbonisation pathway. So a real push there. Um, and also, you know, an increasing interest from tenants who want to occupy buildings that are going to perform well and help them reach their targets. So I certainly think uh, this is not only about new buildings at all. There is a big drive to improve existing buildings. But as Peter kind of rightly points out, you know, there are some big challenges as we as an industry need to face, uh, not least of which is just getting the metering right would be a good start. Yeah, I think... <laughs> Just to add to that, I mean, um, certainly many of our investors and our commitments are fundamentally about, you know, absolute, absolute emissions, r real energy figures. We're constantly being asked to report on how we're performing based on, you know, metered data, more and more metered data. So, you know, fundamentally, we've got to, we've got to, we need the tools to be able to properly measure and report on operational performance and improve the operational performance of our assets. So, again, I just think that's a, that's a key driver. Uh, so we're not, you know, the idea of using certifications as, as, as a proxy um, is, is not going to fly for much longer. We need, we need real tools that use real data, basically. Well, that's really helpful. Uh, I think there's a really interesting question here, which probably ties into one that I wanted to ask. Um, uh, is there a place for neighbors or neighbors designed for performance and verification process? to be embedded into building regulations, potentially replacing EPCs. And I think this links into one of the questions that I had in terms of what are the policy drivers that will be required in terms of shifting the industry from looking uh, at the design for compliance approach to design for performance approach. Shall I start on that, Amrita? So two things very quickly. One of which is that in Australia, Neighbours UK, has now evolved such that it is part of their building regulations and they have mandatory disclosure um, in Australia as well. So it has effectively already made its way uh, through that process um, in Australia. Um, in the UK, I think uh, generally speaking, as highlighted in the slides, we need um, uh, policy frameworks and regulatory tools 
that focus much more clearly on performance outcomes rather than design intent. And uh, there are a, a number of consultations at the moment that are outstanding from the government in this area, but one of which is an outstanding consultation on mandatory performance and use disclosure where the uh, neighbour scheme and work done to develop the neighbour scheme has been heavily referenced. So in short, yes, it's possible to make it into building regulations. Obviously, it requires not only the infrastructure but the political will to do that. Yeah, and I'd say, just to add, I uh, totally agree with what Sarah said. I'd say in addition, we could really do with, um, you know, the, the, the regulations that have been sort of in the wind, if you like, around uh, the, the, the disclosure of ratings for existing assets to existing buildings, um, which again is key. That would unlock so many, uh, so, so many new areas. Uh, transparency, it's all about transparency, sharing real data, people being able to see real performance um, and to make the right decisions based upon that. Uh, and we really need it now as we move into these really challenging times where we've got to make almost sort of revolutionary reductions in energy and carbon. We need that transparency. So, yeah, support from regulation would go a long way to help that. Yeah. I guess while, while they will, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter, but in essence, industry's leading government, the government's bobbing along in the wake at the moment. You know, that to follow, the government set some targets about net zero, which is great, but they haven't really set out how to get there. And the industry is just in absence of guidance from government of just getting the hell on with it. Yeah, and that's such a critical point that everyone is racing towards net zero, as uh, uh, one of the standards says, but we at the moment don't have anything that allows us to measure actual operational performance to validate whether we're getting there. So I think that's going to be a crucial piece of the puzzle, again, to uh, try and look at that operational piece. Uh, and an important part of the operational piece in, uh, in offices are the occupants. And we have um, uh, an interesting question here from uh, someone. Are there lessons from Australia about how to bring tenants along on the neighbor's journey to mitigate the risk of falling short of commitments for developers and landlords? Um, uh, I can talk to that briefly. I mean, I think uh, one of the things that we need to do here in the UK is leapfrog off the experience of what's happened in Australia. Um, I mean, in Australia, they do have a slightly different dynamic to their office market there. Um, very driven by government leasing in particular, which is uh, quite interesting. Uh, but there are certainly lessons that we can learn there. Um, one of the things that I would point out, uh, partly just to give BBP a little bit of a, uh, a, a kind of a shout out for something else that we're working on, is um, we are currently working on a review of our green lease toolkit. And uh, one of the ways in which Neighbours has been incorporated, if you like, in terms of driving um, uh, change and engaging with occupiers is around actually embedding Neighbours' requirements in, in leasing. Um, and uh, at the moment, we're looking at BBP on actually the types of clauses that they use in leasing um, for Neighbours so that we can see how we can translate that to the UK. Uh, leasing is, is um, a good tool but not the only tool because it's usually only used at certain points in a process and it has to be enforced. Uh, so I would also say that um, 
what's happened in Australia is that you've seen a much more collaborative partnership between the owners and the occupiers trying to achieve the best outcome for the building as a whole. Um, and I think Neighbours has driven that because you are able to delineate. Uh, a long time ago, and Malcolm and Peter will probably remember this, we used to talk in the industry about a vicious circle of blame where everybody in the property process would blame someone else. And it's really easy to do that if you only have whole building performance. So the owner blames the occupier if the building performs poorly and vice versa. With neighbours, what you have is the delineation of that accountability. And so I think it makes that conversation much easier between the owner and the occupier. And you can root it in real data. There's, there's also, um, it's not to just wait until a rating is in a, in, a, in a bill. It's not waiting until a rating is just taken and having a, a shriek of horror at the end of it. Particularly if you, with a newer building, if you're using DFP, because through the ratings achievement plan, there's a process of converging. So at stages you can see how the building is, is working as it's being fitted out, as it's been operated more in the way the occupants expected to operate rather than designers. So there's a process of converging on, on the rating. Um, that means, yes, I suppose it's part of the soft landing, if you will, we, we end up with hopefully a soft landing on our, our, our neighbour's commitment and then the opportunity to have to improve. I would say there's, there's a, a comment about, I mentioned before about perhaps over-enthusiasm for, for some of the ratings is the rating is not linear. So as people move beyond five star towards six star, very small changes in energy consumption make disproportionately large impacts on the rating. So it's vitally important that the, you know, the, the closing up to the rating is, is, is monitored carefully and that anything that happens after, even seemingly small insignificant changes, need to be responded to very, very quickly. No, um I think uh, so we're coming up to time as well. So um, uh, this is probably an important question, straightforward, but an important question to answer. Um, does neighbors remove the need for other assessment certifications, such as BRIAM, Greenstar, LEED, and WELL? Uh, I mean, they all have their own place. They don't serve the same purpose. But I think the role here for neighbors is that it allows you to directly uh, measure and report and verify the operational energy piece. But yes, Briam, Greenstar, well, they all look at buildings at a holistic manner, which is equally important. They both have their own role, uh, yeah, but it's just that they are different roles. I, I think, um, I'd, I'd say it, it doesn't remove the need yeah. for, I mean, because in a sense they do different things. I think what we have got is we've got a gap at the moment. You know, we don't have a proper measure, a, certification, a certified measure of operational performance. And in a sense, that is, that's the minimum that Neighbours is going to give us. Um, but, you know, things like Bremia, as you say, they're, they're more of an all-round certification. They, they have absolutely has its place. Um, but it's just where, where uh, some of those certifications are maybe misinterpreted or, or, or not, not used in the right way. And, and, and assumptions are made around what they represent. And that's where I think we, we have this gap. And that's what I think Neighbours can, can deliver. Well, I think we have just a couple of minutes and uh, instead of taking any more questions, I just wanted to ask the panelists if they had any questions for each other that we think we should explore specifically. I can think of um, uh, one question to uh, both Peter and Malcolm, which is um, really about how we get the investment into the buildings 
to particularly improve the metering infrastructure because without that, uh, it's very difficult to provide a neighbour's rating. So obviously with new builds, you can put it in from the start. But I'm quite interested around um, how we finance the transition. And one of that is about when you talk to your investment committees, how do you justify the expenditure on upgrading metering in existing buildings to provide you with the information you need? Yeah, I mean, I've got to say, and uh, I, don't know, I don't know whether we're particularly unusual, but I've got to say, in terms of metering, um, we, we've not found um, an awful lot of obstacles to, to, getting, to getting funding for metering. In, in our situation, um, it's been recognised now for a couple of years that one of the big challenges is getting hold of uh, good data, good quality data particularly data related to what our occupiers are doing, because that's been a, a bit of a, a mystery, uh, our sort of scope three emissions, for example, as well as some of our, the granular data of scope one and scope two, our landlord use. Um, I, I think certainly LNG, we've definitely recognised that we must have that data as a real starting point. And so we've actually, we've been rolling out a programme of submetering now for a couple of years across um, many of our assets, and that's going to continue. And we're trying to get, we're aiming to get um, 100% uh, remotely accessible data for all of our assets, that's our sort of aim. Uh, and again, yes, part of that would links into neighbours and the ability to break out those responsibilities and share that information with our occupiers. So um, for, for us, to be frank, that's not been a massive obstacle. Uh, that's, that's all I can say. We've sold it, we've been selling it internally, obviously. But yeah. Similar thing, part of our ESG policy might be a matter of timing, but it's just getting rolled out across all the buildings. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a really great discussion. And I also noticed that there were some really technical questions uh, on, the, uh, on, on the Slido deck. So uh, we'll be here for a while longer. If anyone wants to come up and just uh, unpick some of those te technical questions, please do feel free. But thank you so much for attending. Thank you.